us. We are back with our continued teaching in the book of Revelation. Last time we were here, we were talking about the revelation of the Lamb, that is the presentation of Jesus to take the scroll. We remember that seven sealed scroll that was in the hand of God, who was seated upon the exalted throne of God, surrounded by the four living creatures, these cherubim and the 24 elders. And it was a scene of dramatic praise as the lamb was the only one found in all of creation. The lamb who is the picture of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus in his sacrificial offering of himself on behalf of the world for the sins of the world. So Jesus is there, therefore presented as the one who is able to take that scroll, the revelation from the hand of God and reveal the contents of the scroll. And we left in chapter five and basically chapters four and five came together with praise and worship of both God and the lamb chapter five the praise and worship is directed toward Jesus, the Lamb of God, specifically, once again, because of his sacrificial offering of himself and that he is the only one found worthy to reveal the contents of the seven-sealed scroll that's in the hand of God. And with all of that, we prepare ourselves to enter into chapter 6, of revelation and that is the opening of the seals that it that's in the hand of God so that's what's going on preparing for the opening of those seals one by one to reveal certain chronological events that will be unfolding during a specific time period now that specific time period that we're talking about is what we call the tribulation the tribulation and guys i'm gonna be honest with you i have had uh, i don't know exactly how to approach this with you because i'm trying to develop these teachings so that anybody without a great deal of scriptural knowledge can understand the book of revelation but it is impossible it is absolutely impossible without a great deal of scriptural knowledge to understand the book of Revelation. So a, a lot of information is needful in order to process, to, to put all of these prophetic events together. But nevertheless, so I, I was kind of wondering how should I approach this, especially as we get into chapter 6. And chapter six is talking about the tribulation. In other places in the Bible, it is sometimes called the day of the Lord. And it deals with that particular event in time. It's a seven year period of time in which God will judge a rebellious and sinful world because of the blasphemies of the world against God. That is, the world is living in willful disobedience and rebellion against God. They know it, and it will be revealed that it is against God that they know and that they are living in this disobedience and rejection. They will know these things, and nevertheless, because even though God is revealing himself from heaven, in these catastrophic events that will be taking place. That's what we're going to be talking about. These events that will be taking place, the world still will adamantly reject God. Okay. And so all of this, the judgments that God will be bringing upon the world during this time, this is what we call the tribulation. And it is a period of seven years. But the point that I was uh, making earlier is how to address this in a manner in which you guys can understand it, no matter who you are and how much biblical knowledge that you have. 
So therefore, I think what I'm going to do is this. Before we get into chapter six, and chapter six is once the lamb takes the scroll, that is Jesus, and begins to, as he breaks the seal, unveil the revelation of future events, chronological future events that will be happening during the seven year period of the tribulation. But so that you understand exactly what's going on, allow me to do it to do it this way, guys. Let me talk to you about what's actually going on. Okay. You have to understand it this way. God has chosen the Jewish people, that is Israel, the nation of Israel, in the way that he deals with the whole world at large. And, and what I mean by that is this, God has chosen the people, a specific people, the people of Abraham. And that's why we, that's why it's so important because it's all about, I tell you what, I'm going to just back it all the way up. I'm going to back it all the way up and I'm going to try to give to you if possible and without taking a thousand years to explain it. And I really hope you guys grab a hold to what I'm trying to say. Man sinned in the garden of Eden. We remember that. Okay. Everything was perfect. Chapters one and two. Then there is the test of man. That's test of Adam. Adam failed the test. We know that that's chapter three. But when Adam failed that test, there was death upon Adam. Immediately when the death sentence came upon Adam, that was as a result of his disobedience. Remember God said, in the day that you eat, you disobey, eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. When he did that, he died instantly, spiritually. It took 930 years later for his body to follow him in physical death. Okay. So what God provided immediately was a redemption for the son, for Adam and his sons. God provided redemption. This redemption was made known. It was seen when, remember when Adam tried to make fig leaves to cover himself, God made what? Animal skins for Adam. And that's what's so important about that whole event. And God made, by doing this, he made Adam to see that number one, only God can provide a covering for him. Only God can provide a covering. That is a covering for his sins. That's a spiritual principle that's being taught. All right. And God made him to see that this covering required blood because notice there was what animal skins that were used. So we see a principle God begins to set forth. God can only God can provide redemption. That is salvation for mankind's sin and the substitute that God made Adam to see. Notice the language I'm using. So guys, please follow. I, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but follow everything that I'm saying so that you can get, you can grab the nuances of, of all of this without me spending a lot of time on it. So God made him to understand takes, it's a blood sacrifice that's necessary. Okay. You see that? So that's why God himself made the covering, but then notice God also promised a seed and see now that concept is tied together. The covering that's necessary for man's sin, a blood sacrifice and the Genesis three and 15. That's when God promised. That's also dealing with the sense of redemption for man. He promised the seed that should come forth from a woman. So therefore he, there was a constant looking forward to a redeemer. And this one is called the promised seed. And so that's why you see all of these seed lines in the book of Genesis, son of this person, son of that person, son of that person, because it's tracing the seed line. We are looking forward to the coming redeemer, one who would come from a woman who would redeem mankind from his sin. That's the promise 
of God. And so as we move with this particular seed line, God chooses a particular man. There has always been a, a chosen of a particular man's seed line, man in particular. That's what the, those families, son of this person, son of that person. But then we see God begins to focus on a particular man, Abraham chapter 12, okay? Through whom that seed line would be continued, but not only will there be a continuation of a seed line, that means a particular one, the Messiah should be born. Now that's Jesus. All of this is pointing towards Jesus, okay? A particular seed line, but also a seed family would come from this. And that's when we deal with Genesis chapter 12, when God chooses Abraham, a continuation of that seed line, but also a great multitude of people that should come forth from Abraham. And, that, and that's when we understand these are the Jewish people or the people of Israel. And so the seed line, we're still looking for that seed that should come, but that seed line should come from the family of a particular man, Abraham, then that same promise is, is extended to his son, Isaac. He is the son of promise. That same promise is extended to Jacob. See, these are the chosen ones through whom the seed should come. That's why these names are important. From, from Abraham, the seed should come from him. From, and then, and remember, Abraham had several sons, all right? Ishmael, his firstborn son, but he is not the one. Then Isaac, that's the son of promise. So that's, so then from that particular one, because remember, even after Isaac, Abraham had, I think, six other sons by a, another wife that he had, Keturah, that was after the death of Sarah. But we won't go into that. But nevertheless, these are other sons, but they are not the ones why. We're looking at a particular family, and from this particular family will come the seed. The seed, always keep in mind, is the Messiah, that is Jesus. And so from Isaac, you get, Isaac had twin sons, remember? Uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, not Esau, but Jacob, the chosen seed line. And from him, you have the 12 sons of Jacob, who become the foundation for the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is the family of people, the Jewish people, through whom God is using to preserve his word, that is the keeping of that, the promises of God. That's, that's the whole point of, of Israel, not all of it, but one of the primary points. They preserve the word of God for all the peoples of the earth. Remember the whole thing that God said to Abraham, to you and in your seed, what? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the point, Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, were simply chosen of God as the vehicle by whom, or should I say, through whom, all the rest of the world would have a blessing from God. They were the channel through whom God, through whom God will bless the rest of us. And that's all that means. And that's all that is God's purposes in using them. That's what that means. So you never have to be jealous about the Jewish people. All things work according to the purposes of God. That's just the way everything works. But nevertheless, so you have now the Jewish people, right? And But God had revealed to Abraham and his descendants. Remember? So you got the 12 sons of Jacob, remember that? And then you have all of this issue without me getting into the, the, how they ended up into the land of Egypt. We know how they sold Joseph there. But nevertheless, this is according to the prophecy that God gave Abraham that his descendants would be enslaved in the land of Egypt, all right? So, nevertheless, they ended up going down into the land of Egypt. They were there from the time that God had made those promises to Abraham, roughly about, what, 430 years. And God raised up Moses, and Moses was the deliverer, 
and by the hand of God, Moses brought all of those descendants of Israel, that is the Jewish people, back from slavery, back into, well, really they didn't get into the land of promise quite yet, but Moses delivered them and brought them to the mountain of Oreb. Sometimes you see it referred to as Mount Sinai, right? So now you got the whole Jewish nation at Mount Sinai, and there God makes a covenant with them. He enters into a covenant to receive them as his particular people. And so that by, by, by sacrifice of blood, and because, because all things must be sanctified, with blood, the Jewish nation, represented by their elders, are brought into a covenant with God. And so therefore, the Jewish people become the covenant people of God officiated at Mount Sinai. That is what's so important about Exodus chapters 19 and 20. The nation of Israel are bought into a covenant relationship with God at this time, okay? And that's what's important about, without me getting into a great detail, the book of Exodus, what we call the five books of Moses. This became the foundation of what we call the law of Moses or the covenant of the expectation. What I mean by that is this, God said, this, these are the rules that govern the relationship between you and me, between the nation of Israel and God himself. If Israel first acknowledged that I am your God and you'll have no other God besides me, and these are the commandments that I expect you to live by, and all 613 of those commandments are spelled out in from Exodus, the book of Exodus, to the book of Deuteronomy. And this became the covenant that God expected them to keep in their relationship with him. Now, if they kept that covenant, they would be blessed. This is what you see being spelled out in the book of Leviticus, as well as Deuteronomy. These are called the covenant blessings to the nation of Israel for obedience. And on the reverse side, if they fail to keep that covenant, they would suffer the judgments of God. And this is what is called the curses in the law of Moses, okay? So therefore, here's what I want you to see. They were brought into a covenant agreement with God according to what Moses had given them, that law of Moses. Now. All of this, the blessings that they would receive from God according to this covenant. See this co So we got this arrangement now. You will begin to experience these covenant blessings or cursings, either one, it goes both ways, of God. And all of this is tied to their coming into the land because you got to remember, notice, when we take it, take it all the way back to Abraham. Remember I told you it all started how God chose Abraham specifically. God told Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. And the constant promises that God made to Abraham were always tied to the land. And then again, we even see in the Mosaic law, that covenant that I'm talking about. That is the land covenant of Deuteronomy 30. And we don't have time to get into all of that, of course. But once again, there is the covenant of the land. So the promised blessings to the Jewish people are tied with their coming into the land. And see, that's the whole thing. Moses getting them the idea. He brought them out of the land of Egypt in order to bring them into the land that God had promised their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in bringing them into the land of the promise, God bound them in a covenant to himself. That's the whole issue of it. Okay. So now that Israel is bound under covenant to God, 
And the idea is in covenant obedience, living obedience to God, they would enjoy the blessings in the land of Israel. All right. That's the whole idea. But God always warned them. If you did so if you disobeyed me, you would suffer punishments to the hand of God and the punishments of God. Uh, sometimes it's called the curses were twice as many as the blessings. And ultimately, ultimately, if they still would never turn when God would constantly tell them to listen to him, God promised that ultimately he would reject them from the land of promise, the land of blessing. So, so let me continue to walk through. So Moses brought them out now, but we know that through, there was a period of great disobedience and that generation that came out of the land of Egypt, including Moses himself was not allowed to enter into the land of promise. So therefore God chose Joshua and Joshua replaced him. And Joshua brought that next generation into the land of promise. That is the land of Canaan, which later would be called what the land of Israel from that point on. Now here is where, remember they are supposed to live in the land of promise, in the land of Israel in covenant relationship with God, but failure to do so would cause or bring about the judgments of the curse of the law. So what happened? So for that time, and we already know Israel never lived in obedience to God. And that is the idea is complete obedience. They would have sporadic periods of obedience, but it never lasted long. So you had basically Joshua and the elders, right? And the elders who were with him. That's what I mean by Joshua and the elders who live in Israel. They really didn't do so well. They were okay, but they didn't do so well during that time because we find in Joshua 24, Joshua had to command them to do what? Do away with the idols that are among you. So even then they, they never did it right. But the point from Joshua to the elders, then you had what? the period of the judges. That's what all of this stuff in Israel's history. You see God's dealing with them, the period of the judges. And then after the period of the judges, that's when we see, we turn to the book of Samuel and Samuel himself being the last judge. And we transition from judges to the Kings. And that's when we see Saul being the first King. And then the establishment of the Davidic kingdom, that is, David, King David. But nevertheless, before I go so deep into all of the history, so then we, the whole point is, so once Israel comes into the land, all right, comes into the land, they are under the Mosaic covenant. God expects them to be obedient, but Israel failed to be obedient to God. And therefore, therefore, the curses kicked in. Now, Israel was in the land, I guess approximately, can I just give a roundabout figure of about 500 years? What's significant about that particular time is this, when God brought Israel into the land. So now here's, and I'm trying, and now I'm starting to come into the issue of dealing with the tribulation period. So, to, so you'll understand why all of this centers around Israel in the first place. Okay. So roughly about 500 years when God brought them into the land of promise, one of the, uh, um, one of the commandments of God in the law was what was called the Sabbath rest, the Sabbath rest. That is God commanded that Israel should work the land. All right. Because they were basically an agricultural society, work the land for six years. But in the seventh year, God commanded that no work should be done in the seventh year, but that the seventh year should be a Sabbath rest for the land. It should be what a Sabbath rest for the land. And we see this whole issue of seven all throughout the uh, old Testament law. You know, the seventh day, the 70th year being Jubilee and on and on and on. But nevertheless, that concept of the seven, we still see that here with the seventh year being the Sabbath rest. But the point that I'm stressing is this, 
For the full duration of Israel's history, they never obeyed this commandment one time. They never obeyed it. All right. The reason why I was taking you to this whole issue about the judges, the period of the judges, and then after the judges, you had the period of the kings until finally that last king, Zedekiah, when we have the destruction of Jerusalem in roughly 586 BC by Nebuchadnezzar. See, all of this is cumulative and it deals with the history of Israel. So all of this time, the land never enjoyed is Sabbath rest, that rest that God talked about. And Israel was consistently disobedient to God. God constantly raising up different prophets, commanding and urging Israel to turn from her sins, obey the law of Moses and walk in covenant relationship with God. Israel did not do that. And so therefore the curses of God kicked in ultimately notice the ultimate curse of God. The ultimate curse of the law is that for Israel to be the city to be destroyed and the people to be dispersed amongst the Gentiles and rejected from the land. That's the ultimate curse. And so in that particular curse, while the people were off the land, the land would enjoy its Sabbath. That remember that seventh Sabbath rest. And this, this is why we see God commanding through the prophet Jeremiah that when Israel was destroyed by the Babylonians, the Israelite people would be away from the land or in exile for 70 years. And it is during these 70 years that the land would enjoy its Sabbath rest. Okay. So it would enjoy the thing that God had commanded for it. And so this is how you have to understand that God is dealing with the prophetic clock of the whole world through the lens of how he deals with the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. So let me just, let me, let me continue on. Let me bring it on, on around. So Israel in disobedience ejected from the land, right there. And that's why we're going to move into, I'm still trying to take you guys to the tribulation, the tribulation, what it all means and where it all comes from. So Israel in disobedience and they're now ejected from the land. That's when we understand the book of Daniel. So, so take your mind there. So Jeremiah has already prophesied about the destruction that will come. It has come. That's when we see all of this in the book of Ezekiel and Ezekiel has is speaking to the, uh, the, those people, those Jews who are dispersed in Babylon, those prophecies are not being fulfilled. So all the things that these prophets have spoken have now come to pass. Jerusalem has been destroyed and Israel, many Jewish people have been exiled in the land of Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. So we got all of that going on. And so finally, after being 70 years in the land of Babylon. Why 70 years? Remember the Sabbath rest. God said uh, the land will enjoy those Sabbath rests by getting rid of you. So now that the prophecy of Jeremiah was now coming to an end, the 70 years of Jewish people being in exile in Babylon, what happens is Daniel the prophet. So we move into that particular time. Daniel the prophet is now concerned. He is wondering about what's going to take place with the Jewish people after the end of this 70 year period. Okay. And in saying that, and guys, I really hope you got it. What's going to happen with the Jewish people in the 70 year period. So, what Daniel is looking forward to is wondering about is the restoration of Israel. 
the mind is in the restoration of Israel. He's looking for the blessing of the Jewish people. Now the mindset that you got to have is a coming kingdom for the Messiah. Cause notice we started everything about this seed that should come, this promised seed and the kingdom that should come. And, and, and I don't have time to work all the way through Daniel, but if we did, we'll see these revelations of prophecies that were given to Daniel were basically about the Gentile kingdom, you know, about the kingdom that dream of Nebuchadnezzar and things of that nature. But, but the point is, he was given several prophecies, chapter four and chapter eight and chapter 11 and different things about the Gentile kingdom, but the expectation and the hope of Daniel as well as the Jewish people is the establishment of the kingdom of the coming one, the kingdom of the Messiah. And so possibly, and I said possibly, Daniel is musing what will happen after the 70 years have been finally complete. After our exile that Jeremiah prophesied is complete, it's, it's kind of like in the mindset of the disciples when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, when, when Jesus appeared to them, they asked him in the book of Acts, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom to Jerusalem at this time? In other words, are you now going to set up the kingdom? It is a beautiful thing, guys. It is the continuing hope throughout the scripture that keep looking for the coming kingdom of the Messiah for the seed to set this kingdom up. So in the mind of Daniel, he's wondering what will become of the holy city, the new Jerusalem is the Lord now be going to do something dramatic. So Daniel is expecting something significant to happen. He's hoping anyway, as the Jewish people are coming to the end of their exile, the 70 year period prophesied by Jeremiah. Okay. Now what we're going to find out is this it's not going to work like Daniel think is hoping he matter of fact, Daniel really doesn't know how it's going to work. God is going to show him exactly how it's going to work. And he's going to move Daniel into uh, what we call the 70 weeks of Daniel and the 70 week. And that's what we're going to talk about here. The 70 weeks of Daniel in order to understand what we mean by the tribulation period, the period of the tribulation. And then you'll also understand why I took you all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to the Jewish people, because the tribulation period is centered around God's dealing with the Jewish people. God re-involving himself with the nation of Israel once again to deal with the world, dealing with them because he deals with all of this from the perspective, from the perspective of dealing with the end of the world. All of this is going to be dealt with from his dealing with the Jews themselves. So in order to understand the period of the tribulation, which is the beginning of Revelation chapter six, you have to always keep in mind that as God is dealing with the world in its totality, he is dealing with the world from the pers from that focal point of dealing with the Jews. So to understand it properly, you have to see how God deals with the Jews from this specific time. All right. And so it is in the book of Daniel, as a matter of fact, is chapter nine It's chapter nine. And that's what I've been talking about when Daniel sees that he is coming to the end 
of roughly that 70 year period of exile for the Jewish people. So that's roughly guys about 539 BC when all of this is taking place a long time ago. Okay. So he sees all of these things taking place. And so he is wondering, he knows something believing significant is about to take place. And so he begins to engage in prayer to God. He seeks God for an answer. What is about to happen? But he also knows according to the covenant. See, that's why I took you to also to that thing about the law of Moses. The, the law of Moses says that Israel need to repent in order for God to bring this latter reign of blessing to them. And so that's why we see Daniel at the, at the beginning of chapter nine, he begins to repent. He says, I understand something significant is happening. Verses one and two of chapter nine. And I don't want to take you guys too much into all of chapter nine. I just want to deal with those 70 weeks so that I can bring you to the tribulation, which is the seven year, the final seven years, which has to do with the events of Revelation chapter six. So I don't want, but you do need a background to what the devil is going on in the first place. Okay. These things just didn't happen in a vacuum. It was something going on and you need to understand what's going on so that you will understand it properly. Okay. So what happened? So Daniel is praying roughly 539 BC as the time has come, the Persian empire has taken over from the Babylonians. He said, it's the time of 70 years is just about up. So Lord, are you about, so listen, let me say it like this. Are you about to restore Jerusalem? Is, are the promises about to be fulfilled? So that messianic hope, the hope of the seed, the coming kingdom, the blessings that should come to Israel because in the blessing that God brings to Israel, when Israel is restored in messianic blessing, and that's when we know that'll be the second coming of Jesus, and only Jesus will do that. But when he does, it brings a blessing to the world. This is what we call the messianic kingdom, okay? That's all we, the second coming of Jesus, when the world goes back to almost like paradise again. It'll be like a thousand years of paradise. And that's in Revelation chapter 20. So you know we are way away from that. But back to Daniel so that you'll understand it all. So Daniel is praying. He knows according to the law, the first thing you need to do is repent. So that's what he does. He joins with Israel as if he's responsible for the sins of the nation in all of those years that led to God's judgment and kicking them off the land. And he is praying and asking God for grace and forgiveness saying that I know it's not because we have done anything right, but Lord, simply because you are a good and gracious God show favor to the nation of Israel to your people, to Jerusalem, to the temple of God. And the temple has been destroyed. So, but he's looking forward once again to the reestablishment of all of these things. But show favor and turn, turn our estate. That means bring about the good things that God has promised. So he begins to pray and fast and seek God. And that's when God sends the angel Gabriel with the answer to Daniel's prayer. And that's the revelation that we see in Daniel chapter nine, verse number 20, when he says, and I matter of fact, guys, I tell you what, let's just turn to that right now. And we will now bring it to an end. We'll start working to the end How about that. He said, while I was speaking and praying, I'm in verse number 20 and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, in behalf of the holy mountain of my God. So while I was still praying, praying, I was still speaking in prayer. Then the man Gabriel, so that's the angel Gabriel that had appeared to him in a vision previously. He came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me the instruction. He talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, 
I have now come forward to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. And I'm sorry that took so long, but the whole point is this. Gabriel showed up and said, you were praying for an answer and God sent me to give you an answer. And he gives it to him in the series of a, it's like a block of time called 77s. Or this is what you guys may have heard called earlier, the 70 weeks of Daniel or the 70 sevens of Daniel. Remember, we've already talked about how the importance of sevens are seen throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Well, Old and New Testament, seven is always a very uh, important spiritual number. All right. So he talks about, remember, he wants to know what is going to happen. What will the future bring is the idea. Here's the idea, guys. God, are you about to do something significant? A restoration for your people. What are we always looking for? The thread in all of the, the, the hope of the Jewish people, the hope of the prophets, that thing that threads everything, the hope of the coming of the Messiah, the coming seed, the one who will restore all things. So that, that hope is still in the mind, in the back of Daniel's mind, right? God tells him exactly how it will work out. Verse 24, guys, I hope I'm not belaboring this too much for you too. I'm so sorry if I did. Verse 24, so let's get to those 77s so we can deal with that final week. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place. Now, this statement is packed big time. So God, and I know it's been extensive and I'm not trying to do a study on this particular passage. This is not what we're going to do right here, but you need to understand it. So let me do an overall, a short version of this. Okay. So he says 70 weeks, that is 70 sevens. So Israel's history can be understood in the sense of 70 times seven and the sevens are indicators for years. So that means God is saying through Abram, Gabriel, the angel to Daniel, your, I will deal with the nation of Israel, your people over a period of 490 years. That's what he's saying. 70 weeks, 70 times seven. Okay. Notice what he says, are decreed for your people. See, notice he's, so this is not for the world. The world will be affected during that time. The world, remember the whole point guys, as God is dealing with the Jewish people, he is also dealing with the whole world at this time. But he chooses, he chooses the Jewish people as the way he deals with all things. So it is through the Jewish people that God deals with all the world. That's why you have to understand that it is about the Jewish people. So notice these 490 years, 70 weeks are decreed for your people and the people of Daniel are the Jews. And notice the concentration and your holy city to finish the transgression. And, and guys, again, it's so extensive. Let me just simply make the point, and I'm gonna ask for a leap of faith at this time. To finish the transgression, that is the sinful career of the Jewish people. The whole history of sin and rebellion of the Jewish people. But in particular, because it said the transgression, the, in particular, what sin? The rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. So you got it? So all of Israel's sin, all of the Jewish people's sin, especially in that culminates with their rejection 
of Jesus as the Messiah. And once they do all of that, atonement will be made. And what happens? Everlasting righteousness will be brought up. And then it says to seal up vision and prophecy. All that simply means is this. Everything that God has spoken by the mouth of the prophets, all of the scripture, everything that God has said concerning the scripture with relationship uh, related to the Jewish people, to Israel, the promises of blessing, the messianic hope, the messianic blessings, all of these things will be done. They'll be fulfilled at that time. Okay. At the time of the, so whatever is going on during this 490 year period, God is going to wrap it up by the end of this period. And that's when we'll see the blessings that will be brought in. That is the millennial kingdom, the return of Jesus, the restoration of the world, what the apostles were asking Jesus, Lord, are you at this time about to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's when all of this will be done. Okay. So that's what's going on here. So that 490 year period is broken up. That's what the remainder of this text 25 to 27 is about. So he says, watch. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks, 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. So let me explain it again, guys, uh, the short version of it. So he breaks up. Now he's keep in mind that we're dealing with 70 weeks, seven zero weeks. He breaks that period up into three different periods. It is broken into a period of seven weeks, then a period of 62 weeks, and then finally a period of a final week. Notice altogether that's 70. The, six, the, the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, as you see in verse 25, go together. So that means 69 weeks. And remember one week is seven years. So you're dealing with a period of what? 483 years that's being covered in, in verse number 25. And I hope I'm not throwing you off again. So what is he saying? This is what he said. From the time that a decree is issued to restore Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem has been destroyed. All right, remember from 539 BC, that's the time in which this, all of this is pretty much coming about. Jerusalem has been destroyed, and as Jerusalem was destroyed, they were looking for the rebuilding, the restoration of Jerusalem, and even namely the temple of God, okay, the temple. So he says, when you see an edict that is given, that is given, and this would be given from a Gentile king. And this would be given from Artaxerxes in, I think, 444 BC. And we see this in Nehemiah chapter two, but we don't want to get in all of that. But this is what I'm trying to get you to see. And he issued a decree to rebuild, not the temple now, not the temple, that's different, but the city itself. And this is what's giving reference here. The time that the issue, the decree is issued to rebuild the city of Jerusalem from that time until notice until the coming of Messiah, the Prince, this is actually Jesus himself. But the whole point, remember I told you how everything is always looking forward to the coming of Messiah, the promised seed, the anointed one, who would bring about the blessings of God. That's the whole point. So he says from that time that the edict is given until the time that the Messiah shows up, he says it will be divided into a period of seven weeks. And that's, and note that seven weeks, that's seven times seven. And then he says 62, that's seven times 62. That's why we get 483 years total. So the point 
from the moment that Artaxerxes sent the command to restore Nehemiah, send Nehemiah into the city to rebuild, 483 years later will be the appearance of Messiah. It shall be the Messiah, the Prince. And if you look at that time exactly, it was 483 years later, and we're counting Jewish years. 483 years later, that's when we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey, and Jerusalem hailing him as the coming king, and Jesus fulfills Zechariah chapter 9. In other words, and I really hope you guys are getting it. So from the time that he sent that edict in, 483 years later, that is seven weeks, 49 years to basically build the city and then the rest of that time, all those hundreds of years, for the nation to be reestablished, the cities to be built, time to pass, and the coming of Jesus being born of that seed of a woman, Mary, Genesis 3 and 15 being fulfilled all of this stuff, Jesus now coming into his ministry and ultimately being presented as the king of Israel riding on the back of a donkey, the Zechariah prophecy. That's the whole point of it. This fulfills Daniel 9 and verse 25. The 483 years have passed. So that's that first segment of it, right? But remember, we're dealing with a period of what? 490 years. So we got 483 years. We see how the first set has been given. Now let's look at verse number 26. Then after the 62 weeks, see notice, now that you got what? That 69 total, the seven and the 62, 69. So after 62, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Cut off is always dealing with death. And so here it clearly speaks of because of Israel's rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. We know that Jesus was crucified. We also know he rose from the dead, but here is speaking of the death of the Messiah is prophesied at the end of the 69th week. Notice after 62, you got the seven, then you're 62 at the end of the 69th week, Messiah is cut off. Jesus is crucified. And what happens after, remember, Jesus constantly warned them, Matthew 24, about not receiving him, the results of the rejection of Jesus, reject, rejection of Jesus, his crucifixion, is that the city will be destroyed. Also Luke 21, things of that nature. But the whole point is this, the destruction and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and this end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. And that, and all he's simply saying is this, after the death of the Messiah, the city will once again, Jerusalem will be destroyed once again. And all of this was prophesied by Jesus because of the people's rejection of him. Remember Matthew 23, when Jesus would talk about how I wanted to take you and gather you under my wing as a hen would gather her chicks, but you did not let me. And behold, I leave your city left to you desolate. And then again, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the whole point, Jesus prophesied of the destruction of Jerusalem because of their rejection of him. They showed their rejection. The evidence was that they're crucified. What did Daniel say? The Messiah is cut off. He's crucified. This happens at the end after that 62 weeks, which totally the seven and the 62, 69 weeks, 483 years. So now that leaves you with what? One more week. That is the 70th week, the final week, which is remember, and a week is seven years. This is the final breakdown of the period. As God is dealing with, once again, the mindset, what guys? The Jewish people 
we enter into that last week that God is dealing with them called the period of the tribulation or the place in the scripture, the day of the Lord. You see that in black Zephaniah and sometimes in issues with Zechariah would give reference to such issues of the great day of the Lord. And you'll see that in the book of Joel, as we give reference to events that are taking place with the day of the final period of judgment, or you, you, you'll see it again called Jacob's trouble in the book of Jeremiah. All of these are just synonyms that deal with the final times of events. This is that 70th week. That's all I'm trying to say. The last seven years, the 70th week of Daniel. Okay. And it is the 70th week of Daniel is the whole idea when Jesus in the book of Revelation chapter six, when the lamb begins to open the scrolls, he is dealing with Daniel nine and 27, the 70th week of Daniel, the final seven years of God's dealing with the Jewish people before the coming of Jesus, when Jesus himself will be crowned and acknowledged by the Jewish people, King of King and Lord of Lords, as their Messiah and the kingdom, the messianic kingdom will be brought in. So that's how it all works. The final 70th week and that's verse 27. So let me read it and bring this to a close. And he will make a firm covenant. The he is simply referring to that same prince of the people. And so since I'm here, I might as well tell you about it. The reference here is to the Antichrist. That's when the Antichrist makes a security agreement with the nation of Israel. So the nation had to be reformed again. That's why, uh, uh, was it 1947, 1948, <laughs> the nation of Israel was reorganized again. Israel became a nation again. And 1967 is important. We see once again when Jerusalem uh, was taken back from the Jewish by the Jewish people in the Six Day War. All of these things are very important times in history. But the point that I'm trying to say is this: so the Antichrist, the Jewish people, have always desired to have peace and security in the land. During this time, and this is after. So I guess I'll slow it down a little bit more. And, and I guys, I know this is taking a long time, but you, it's impossible to understand all of these things without all of this history and these facts. You just can't do it properly and in the biblical way. But see, okay, so the Jewish people have always desired security. That they've always wanted that. that the, that's the one thing even to this day that they have not had. All of their neighbors, which means the United States one day, who is the closest neighbor to the Jewish people are going to abandon her during this time. Now this period, again, we, we, we recall is after the church has been raptured. The church is gone now because that's the whole point of what John was trying to say. Let me show you the things that are happening after the age of the church. That's Revelation chapter four, when John is invited to come up into heaven and we have this big time party and the lamb is presented with the scroll, chapter five, all of this stuff, right? And now we get into the opening of the scroll. But anyway, they've always wanted the security. The United States ain't here no more. All of her neighbors are gone. She seeks the antichrist to give security for the Jewish people. And that's what's going on in verse 27. So let me just get to that. He'll make a firm covenant for many with one week, a covenant the Antichrist makes with the Jewish people for one week, seven years. The covenant would be a seven year covenant peace treaty with the leaders of the Jewish people. In the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Let me just deal with that. And in the middle of the seven year peace agreement, the Antichrist will break that peace agreement and he will become the worst persecutor of the Jewish people in the history of the, of, of all time. 
That's Revelation 13. You see that with the rise of the Antichrist and the persecution of the Jewish people, you see that in Revelation chapter 12. Okay, but the point is, he begins to persecute the Jewish people. You also see this same idea in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 when Paul talks about the man of sin, the son of perdition, all right, who exalts himself above everything, even above all who worship the house in the house of God. That's what you see when it says he stops the sacrifices that are going on in the temple. So that lets us know that by the time that Israel enters into uh, that the Antichrist breaks their peace agreement, they will have another functioning temple will be built and it will have worship sacrifices and the Antichrist, that's Revelation 13, he will stop the sacrifices, have an image of himself placed in the holy place and command all people to worship him as God. The Jewish people, of course, are going to reject that. That's when Jesus says, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel, the prophet run for your life, flee to the mountains. Don't look back, run Jewish people run. That's reference to Daniel chapter nine, 27. When the antichrist breaks the seven year peace agreement. And when he does all of these things, that's when the period of what we call the great tribulation will take place when the antichrist tries to completely kill all Jewish people. And he is being led by his father, the devil to do these things. Now that's enough. You need to see the teaching that I did upon the origin of the antichrist in order to understand things about that. But nevertheless, his father, the devil is the one who is energizing him to destroy all the Jews at this particular time. Okay. And all of this is happening during the final, <coughs> excuse me, guys, seven years, that 70th week of Daniel. All right. But let me just finish the verse so I can close this all out. And on the wing of abominations, one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. That is God has determined a destruction. Uh, that's a destruction in general with reference to the Jewish people, the temple and things of that nature, as well as the one bringing about the destruction, the antichrist himself. God has determined the end of the Antichrist. And we know that he will be actually killed when Jesus returns in the second advent himself. At the return of Jesus, that's in Revelation chapter 20. Jesus comes back, he kills the Antichrist, and then he resurrects the Antichrist and casts him into the lake of fire. But nevertheless, so all of this, the final 70th week of Daniel is God's dealing with the Jewish people right before the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus Christ. And it is the period of seven years. It is this seven year period that we now call the tribulation, the tribulation and as we get into the book of Revelation, which is where we'll be going the next time in chapter six, and the lamb begins to open the seals of the book of Revelation. Now you understand as God is dealing with the Jewish people during these last seven years, he is also dealing with the world as a whole and bringing judgments on the world itself during this period because the world will be under the dominion of the Antichrist. And so therefore God will destroy the dominion of the Antichrist and all the kingdoms of this world. That's why last point you see in the book of Daniel, when Daniel had that vision, about that, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar had the dream about that great statue and Daniel saw that stone that was cut without hands. 
hit the toe of it. That is the very final kingdom of the Gentile world, which would be ruled by the Antichrist when the rock, which is representative of Jesus, the Messiah and his coming kingdom. When Jesus strikes the Antichrist and his kingdom, what happened to that whole image in the book of Daniel? The whole image was obliterated. The kingdoms of the Gentile world ruled by the Antichrist at this time is totally destroyed. And what happens to that little stone? It becomes a great mountain. That is the kingdom of Jesus, the Messiah, is now the kingdom that grows and rules and governs the world. And this is what takes place at the end of it. But nevertheless, I went way too far. Sorry guys, but I hope you learned a lot. What happens at Revelation chapter six, it is nothing more than the events that take place during that final seven years of God dealing with Israel. And as he deals with Israel, this shows you the judgments also that he will be bringing on the rest, or should I say the, rest, the whole world at large. All right, guys, thanks for joining me big time on that extended teaching. I'll catch you next time and we'll begin to break the seals of Revelation chapter six. See you then. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe.